Hopefully that's fine. Good. What I'd like to do today is I'm going to take a passage from the Old Testament, a psalm. And then a few verses, a couple of verses from the New Testament. I'm going to weave them together for us this morning. So the psalm is Psalm 27. In your church Bibles, I had a quick check beforehand, page 557. Psalm 27, page 557. I'm sure many of you know and love this psalm well. It says in this psalm, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing, one thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surrounded me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice, Lord, when I call. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Saviour. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The verse I want to contrast that with in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. And this says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth you profess and are saved. Now that is a powerful declaration. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Now we know, don't we, from earlier in Romans, when Paul is writing to the church of Rome, he talks about the grace of God that is poured out, shed abroad in our hearts. That is through grace. And that is that it's nothing of yourself, it's none of your works, there's nothing that you have done to contribute to the fact that today, God's love, God's goodness is in your heart and in your life. It is through grace that we are saved. And yet at the same point in time, it's saying here in Romans 10 that you need to declare and you need to believe. And that's led some people to think, how do you actually reconcile? Is it by grace or is, is our declaration in some way doing works? And yet that's a misunderstanding that's kind of taking place because God himself has acted sovereignly through Christ in order to provide a way for us to have access back to the presence of God. That has always been God's purpose and his desire right from the very beginning of creation. God created the garden. In the garden he established Adam and Eve there and God walked with them in the cool of the day because God wanted us to be his partners with him on earth, dwelling in his presence, him coming and dwelling with us and speaking to us. He had commissioned and released us to say, look, this is a good earth, this is a good garden I have placed you in, go and tend for it. To go and work in his place, to bring the fullness of the glory of God through you and me into all creation. What a tremendous calling that is. To take of the goodness and the presence of God because it is only into us that God breathed his breath of life that we might be living souls, living beings carrying the presence of God within us and to co-partner with God to bring that presence to the earth. But because of sin that was broken but God still continues to show that that was always his desire because then God, we know, through Moses, established his tabernacle, his presence on earth. Having gone through the Passover sacrifice that we've just been reading about there, God drawing back and saying, you will be my people and I will be your God. And God once more saying, I will dwell with you in the land. And that as they journeyed through the wilderness, the camp, the tent of meeting was placed initially in the very centre of the tent and the peoples of Israel camped around it because God wanted to be there in the heart, in the midst of his people and God came down and he met there with Moses, they received his word and God said that he was going to make them to be a blessing to the nations. God's promise to Abraham. And of course we move a little bit further through the story and we come to Solomon's temple. Again, where David had in his heart to build a place for God. And God said to David, look, it's not for you because you're a man of war. Bloodshed on your hand, it will be through your son. And the temple was established. And there God dwelt with his people. And we know that all of this is prefiguring looking forward to that time when, as we've just been celebrating over this Christmas period, that Jesus, the light of the world, came. And John 1 says, he tabernacled amongst us. It's clear what he is saying. Here is the divine presence of God coming down to tabernacle, to dwell with us, right in the midst of our lives and circumstances where we are. With all its joys, with all its pleasures, but with all its sorrows and with all its pains that we've been reflecting on again a bit this morning, he says, I'm coming to dwell with you right there. And Jesus came and he moved amongst us and he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father.
He revealed and made known to us the Father's heart. But look, that is still not the end of the story. Because he died and he rose again, that great Passover lamb. But then he said, look, it's better for you that I go. Because then what is God's purpose? That he said, I will send the Holy Spirit who will come and dwell within you and you will be the temple of Christ. You will be the body of Christ. And that once more God's presence dwells and lives within us and shows through us to the world. That once more this divine calling that was given back to Adam right at the beginning is that same privilege and calling we have that we can declare Christ in a world that is hurting and suffering and that we are the ones who co-partner and co-labor with God. And therefore, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord in any circumstance and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that is where the access to the heavenly realm has been opened once and for all. There God will step in and you will be saved. There there is a release of divine power and anointing that will come upon your life and work through you and enable God's glory once more to be shed abroad in the earth that is around us. And that co-partnering, that co-laboring, again, we've just gone through the Christmas story, haven't we? my, My mind goes back to Mary. When Mary first was given the message from the angel Gabriel that you will be with child... And you can imagine just how her mind was exploding with questions, but I've not known a person. How can this be? I'm yet a virgin. And the angel says, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He will overshadow you. For no word from God is, you know, will, will, will be void. And how does she respond? I am your servant. May it be to me as you have spoken. There she gives her amen to what God speaks over her life and the power of God is released within her spirit, within her soul, within her body and Christ comes into the world through her. Gives the amen to what God is doing. With her mouth she declared and through the presence of God it was released. Now, in this verse, when it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that word there, and I'm not going to go into a lot of Greek today, is homologesis, okay? Which comes from two words, homus and logos. The word logos, you know, that are familiar with. But it, homos means of the same kind, of the same. The logos we know is the spoken, declared word. And when it's saying, if you declare in this, it's basically saying, if you make your voice of the same agreement and conclusion as the word that has been spoken. It is coming into a, voicing out a covenant, a contractual agreement, and saying, I agree with it. It is a binding statement, it is a binding declaration. So when you go to the bank and you say, I want a loan, and they say, right, these are the terms, and they set the terms out, and you say, yes, I agree, and you sign your name, you are making a declaration that you will be bound by everything that is within that word, within that document, and now you have a binding contract. You've declared out before all people. Now, you might go on later and say, oh, I can't be bothered paying it, but someone will come knocking on your door, and they will be saying to you, I'm sorry, you have made a declaration 
it's that same word. You have formally agreed and ratified something that now you have declared out. And we formally degree and recognize Jesus Christ is Lord. We voice that conclusion and we speak it out. Now let's bring it back into Psalm 27. Because the Bible tells us, doesn't it, of David, that he was a man after God's own heart. Here was a person that God had chosen that was after his heart. Because there was something in David that God looked at and said of David, that I love. Your attitude, your heart, the way that you are facing life and God knowing what he would be able to do with him and through him. Now David through his life knew a shed load of problems. He did not have the easiest life, did he? You only have to go and read through his life. And you'll, you'll suddenly realise just, well, at, at times it was like he was the runt of the family that was out on the field. And so when the prophet Samuel came, they actually forgot to bring him in to show him. So, you know, that just shows how, oh, he's just a little one over there. He, he doesn't matter. He was kind of put down in that way. Then a little bit later when you're on the battlefield and Goliath was there and David was sent to take his cheese and pickle sandwiches to his brothers... And when David said, who is this Philistine dog over there that's shouting this out? His brothers put him down. He knew what it was to be despised. Later on, when Saul wanted to try and court his favour, whatever, Saul offered him uh, one of his daughters. And then as David fulfilled the terms of that, he went and sold his daughter, gave his daughter to someone else in marriage. He then had to work for another one of his daughters called Michael. And so Saul himself was looking at David and at one point he, he wanted what he was bringing to him to his kingdom but at the other side Saul was hearing some words being sung. Saul has slain his thousand, David his tens of thousands and Saul became intensely jealous of him. And Saul looked for ways to try to kill David, to pin him to the wall with a javelin on a number of occasions and David having to run and to flee for his life. And then as he was running and fleeing for his life, obviously he was having to run into the enemy grounds, into the enemy camps and live there amongst them. And he knew what it was to be living with kind of fear and anxiety and tensions all through his life. And yet God still says of David, he was a man after my own heart. Because through all his adversities, David kept something true in his heart. Even when he messed up, because we know David wasn't perfect. We know he sinned with Bathsheba. We know that maybe the way he treated his, his children wasn't necessarily the best and because there was lots of tensions and even one of his sons tried to rise up and to usurp his kingdom. But even though he wasn't perfect, God could still look at him and say, but he's a man after my own heart. Because there was something that was grounded in the heart of David that we can learn from. So that even if today, looking back on this week, you think, I know I've messed up. I know I've got things wrong. Or if you're facing adversity and difficulties and thinking, this is overwhelming me, this is pressing in, and I'm feeling worried, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling depressed, etc. David knew all of those things, and yet God said of him, he is a man after my own heart. And God can speak that same word over you today as we learn from David here. Because David made a bold 
declaration, if you declare with your heart. Now, he lived a few centuries before Jesus Christ. He wasn't declaring Jesus is Lord. But what did he declare? He declared, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation and my stronghold. Three lovely images. My light, my salvation, my deliverer, and my stronghold. I remember a time when uh, I was leading a youth weekend, the youth retreat away, and uh, as we did with our youth, we, as you do when you've got young people, etc., you do crazy things, don't you, with, with, with young people. You, 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 you do things which after you look back and think, well, that was a bit dangerous, safeguarding, I'm not sure whether I should have done that, but we did it anyway, and one of the things we'd said, we took them uh, away to this area, we thought, we're going to do a night walk to a wood. Now, at least I had the benefit of thinking the night before, I'm going to go out and walk the wood just to see what it's like before I take the kids through these woods. And so I went walking through the woods by myself in the dark at the time when we were doing the children the following night. And I'd walked it earlier through the daytime so I knew exactly where I should be going. But do you know what it's like when it's dark and there's no real moon coming through, moonlight to kind of illuminate it? The trees do not look the same as they look during the daytime. If you're not sure, at midnight, go for a midnight walk through Rivington and you'll, you'll soon realise what I'm talking about. The sights, the sounds, it all kind of looks different and you can get very quickly disorientated. You're not sure which way you're going. And I can feel at times my heart starting to beat within me, thinking, you know, well, is this right? And tomorrow night I'm going to be here with all of these kids as well, and is this safe? And all the questions kind of kind of going through within me. And that's what darkness does to us, isn't it? It, it, it? it provokes our fears, it accentuates all the anxieties and the concerns. And yet David says, the Lord is my light. That light that will break into those dark moments of your life when you're feeling most confused, most unsure, most uh, facing all of not only your internal fears, but maybe all the external pressures that are coming against you. The Lord is my light. Jesus, that light of the world that has come on in. And even when you're dealing even with your deepest moments of sin, the Lord is my light light that will come into that and can bring his healing. The Lord is my salvation or my deliverer. He is the one who will come and who will deliver me, who will bring me through this to the other end. He is my stronghold and this phrase of God being a stronghold will come back and again and again in different ways through this psalm as God is saying, look, where is it that I go to to find my moments of security and safety. I hide myself in the Lord. I hide myself in the Lord. Therefore, he says, of whom shall I be afraid? And that's why I'm glad you read that passage from Romans 8. We're not consulted, but Romans 8. Who can separate us from the love of God? That is in Christ Jesus. What is there? Name it. What is there that can separate you from God's love? For if he has given us Christ, hasn't he freely given us all things? And so David goes on not only to make his declaration, 
But he goes to reflect on his own testimony, I believe, in verses 2 and 3. When the wicked come against me, it's my enemies who will stumble and fall. Though it's an army that's coming against me, though war break out against me. You see, sometimes don't we find ourselves where it almost feels like everything (laughs) is being thrown at you. Everything is coming at you. You know, sometimes if if it's just one or two little pressures, you can kind of cope with that. You can have these moments where it feels like it's just one thing after another, after another, after another. Now again, if I can talk honestly with you here, Christy knows I've been through a few dark years. Because there was, a few years back, it was like I went through that season where it just felt like it was one thing after another, after another, after another. We had five bereavements in the family. We had COVID. Work issues were kind of, you know, developing off around us. And it was just like one thing after another, after another, after another. And I felt myself reach that moment where my physical strength had completely just ebbed away. Now, I'm not one for showing emotion. That's much that Christian has to really put up with that. I, I'm, I'm not one, generally, who, who, who gets kind of emotional in that sort of way. And yet, I don't know if you've ever been in that place where just something where literally just comes over you and you just cry uncontrollably. You just, can't, you just can't stop yourself. And you can't put into words what it is that you're feeling inside, but you just know that deep within yourself, this almost has been too much for me. I can feel like this is breaking me inside. And I think that's something of what David's kind, of, David's kind of picking at. You look, when the wicked are coming, when the foes are coming, when the enemies are coming, and I'm being battered from every single side, where do you turn to? Where do you turn to? What is then your testimony? What is then your hope underneath? And I know all through those dark days, one thing I kept saying to myself one thing I kept saying even to others that were out around me was simply this. But I can't turn away from what I know. I know whom I believe. Even though at one point it was the church that offended me. And I felt like I've got to walk away from church just to find my sanity. But I can't turn away from God. That is where my hope is. That is where my strength is. I can't deny what I know. And I would think back to situations in my own life where I said, but I know I touched God there. I know this was God here. I know there is a God in heaven because he has worked in my life. What does the psalm say? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is God. And to remind yourself of what you have tasted, of what you have touched, can sometimes be the thing that will keep you going through as you declare it out. And even though I might look back with regret on some of the decisions I have made, and I know I'm standing here amongst some of you that are giants in the spirit, and you have stood through, you know, very difficult circumstance situations. I hear it in the preaching of the word here, that faithful understanding of who God is. Yet I come back and say, but I know that God is my light and he pushed that darkness and he brings you through. And what was it that was at the heart of David's life? Well, we get it in verse 4, don't we? One thing I ask from the Lord. One thing. 
This only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and seek him in his temple. Three beautiful words. I want to dwell. I want to gaze. I want to seek. I want to dwell. I want to gaze. I want to seek. See, dwelling in the house of the Lord. To dwell in his house. God, invite me into your presence that I might dwell there continually. Even tomorrow morning when I'm out and about and I'm down at the shops, or even if I'm going to work and I'm in the workplace, that even in those places I dwell in your presence. What is it that Jesus said? Abide in me. Abide. Dwell. Remain in that place. We carry the presence of God with us. What is it that Hebrews says? We have access into the holy place continually. We go into that place. We dwell in his house. We dwell in his presence. And there is security, for his love surrounds us. And we gaze on the beauty. Now, dwell is kind of a passive thing. You go there, you sit down. But to gaze, I will look. I will look. I will look intently at his beauty. I will choose to focus my mind to look at what is the goodness of God. What is the faithfulness of God. And I will recall that day by day by day. I will gaze into God's beauty. Into his presence. And I will seek. I will inquire. I will ask of God for more. I will try to understand and say, God, show me your ways. Teach me that I might walk in your paths. Now, this idea of gazing and seeking on on God links to another verse lower down in verse uh, 8, when he says, my heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. I believe that's referring back to Deuteronomy 4.29. Deuteronomy 4.29. And actually that verse can be reinterpreted in a slightly different way, which I think is slightly better than the way the NIV has got. This NIV is generally good, but I think this one, I'm not sure it's got the interpretation I quite like. Because you look at some other verses, and and it will say there, you have said, seek my face. Your face, Lord, I will seek, he says in response to it. That it's God who invites us. It's God who is into us. Look, seek me. Because when you go to Deuteronomy 4.29, it's there where God has been talking through Moses, as Moses is giving his parting words to the children of Israel about what would be the consequences if they failed to continue to walk in God's way. But then he suddenly changes his tone and he says, but if from there, if from that place of adversity, if from that place of trial, if from that place where you feel you've got it wrong, 
If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Because it is God who is inviting us to say, will you seek me with everything that is within you? And David, knowing this, says, your face, Lord, I will seek. I will search you out. So he goes through his declaration in verse 1. His testimony has been in verse 2 and 3. He's expressed his deep desire here in verses 4 to us. And then he starts to restate what is his confidence in God. Five, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. Here's this stronghold image coming back, my confidence. There I will know I will be kept safe. But he moves from there to saying a spirit of sacrifice. Then my head will be anointed above my enemies that surround me. At his tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. You know, sometimes it is only in that darkest place that you can give that sacrifice of a shout of joy. That sacrifice of a declaration of confidence. That sacrifice which even though everything looks black says, but God is God. And that you commit yourself into that truth. You declare with your heart, though all this is raging against me, Jesus is Lord. And you believe that because God has raised him from the dead? Therefore, God can bring me through this situation and trial. For I know my God in whom I trust, in whom I believe. You will be saved. And we know, isn't it, as Daniel and his friends, when they face that fiery furnace, remember their statement of confidence. There was a declaration of praise and faith. Why don't, you know, all they had to do was to bow down to the king, but they said, look, we know that God might not deliver us. You know, we're, we're, you know our God is able to deliver us, but even if not, we're not going to bow down. Even if not, we know, because one way or the other, there is deliverance. It's either deliverance in this life, in the land of the living, which David says at the end, or it's deliverance into the presence of God, where we will gaze forever upon his beauty and his goodness. That sacrifice with shouts of joy. And so one of the hard lessons sometimes to have to learn is that it's in those times of trial it's in those times of adversity that God is actually giving you an invitation to find him, to seek after him. That actually in that moment of adversity there is a promise if we know Christ. There is a promise that God says, if you seek me there, I will be found by you. And he will cause us to know him. 
And so as he goes on, he then begins to pray to God, Lord, hear my voice when I call. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away. Don't reject or forsake me. He knew that he wanted to be kept safe by God. And he says, even though my mother and father forsake me, now, his parents didn't reject him. But what he's saying is, even if this suffering that I'm going through is that person who is closest and most dearest to my heart, even if they rejected me, what does he say? Lord, you will receive me. He's making his declaration and confidence in God, seeking to find strength in him. Which is why he then says in verse 13, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see the goodness of God. And so to make that the single central focus of our lives and to declare that out when we come together. And this is why I believe the Bible tells us not to neglect the meeting together because it's in the assembly of the people. We declare the goodness of God to each other that we might strengthen each other for when we go through those times. For as one rejoices, we can all rejoice. As another goes through a time of suffering, we share in that suffering with them. And so he says, wait for the Lord. You know, sometimes I can rush. 